Maybe you've heard the story of the man who almost every Sunday when he went to church, he ended up falling asleep right when the sermon started. Now, he always told his wife that he was just resting his eyes, and then he knew everything that was going on. There was this particular Sunday that his wife wasn't feeling well and decided to stay home in bed, and she sent her husband on to go on to church, and she said, now, now don't fall asleep because I want you to tell me what the message was about when you get home. And so he went off to, he went off to worship and um, enjoyed everything about it, stood up, sang, listened to everything, and, but almost as soon as the preacher got up to preach and got just a few words out of his mouth, he felt his head kind of going down. He was, he was nodding off. He was giving in to this sleep. And he fought it as hard as he could because he knew his wife was going to ask him when he got home what the message was about, but he just couldn't do it. And so uh, the next thing he knew, everybody was standing up, getting ready to sing the last song. Well, on his way home, he figured this is going to be rather embarrassing because I told her I wouldn't fall asleep. I told her I'd tell her what the message was going to be. And so he said, you know, I I think I kind of generally know what preachers talk about. So when he got home, his first thing his wife asked him, honey, what was the message about today? And he looked at her without hesitation. He said, sin. And so she's thinking, okay, he's just pulling that out of the air. She said, and and what did the pastor say about sin? And without blinking, he looked at her and said, he's against it. (laughs) Today, you will, in all integrity, be able to go home at the end of the day. And if someone asks you what the preacher talked about today, you can say sin. And you can be assured that I am against it. We start a new series today called Saved. We're going to be focusing on the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And that sounds all well and good, so so why do we want to mess all this up by dragging this issue of sin in? Well, because that's really where we as people begin. It is when we come to the understanding that we are sinners who cannot save ourselves, that we are broken beyond repair, that there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God again on our own. It is then when we are able to seek a Savior and to receive the salvation that God has for us. Without that, if we didn't think we were lost, if we thought that somehow we could figure this out and we could do this, then we wouldn't need a Savior. We need a Savior because we cannot save ourselves. And so we begin today by considering sin. You said, okay, well, Pastor, I figure if you're going to be talking about sin, we're going to flip all the way back to Genesis, and we're going to look at Adam and Eve and a tree and a serpent and a piece of fruit, and and we're going to start there. Actually, that's not where I'm going to start. It would be a good place to start. But instead, I'd like to start with a story that Jesus told. It's a story about two men who one day went to the temple. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we'll be putting the verses up on the screen for you so you'll be able to follow along with us. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. 
Two men went up to the temple complex to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. I tell you this, Jesus said, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. When Jesus told stories, and he told a lot of stories, he didn't tell them purely for the entertainment value. Jesus had a big theological point, a message that he was trying to drive home. And he often told it in stories so that even the ordinary Illiterate masses could understand it. Most of the time, his stories had a broad application. When he would tell a story, for instance, that had to do with the kingdom of God. But sometimes, his, his story was much narrower. Had a much smaller target. Instead of a shotgun approach, it was like a, a rifle shot. And on this day, he had the crosshairs on the backs of those who were self-righteous and who thought themselves to be better than other people. Particularly, those Pharisees who happened to be standing in the crowds listening to Jesus teach. There are two men in this story. They both went to the temple. But that's where the similarities between these two men end. So let's consider what the story that Jesus told by looking at the two characters who are in it. The first is a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were a group of religious leaders. They were, they're not as wealthy as the Sadducees were. The Sadducees were among the, the elite. The, these, these Pharisees were more middle class. They were what most Jews would now consider to be rabbis or what you would consider to be a pastor. And so there was a much closer connection with the people than with the Sadducees had. Now, these Pharisees, the actual name Pharisees means the separated ones. And these Pharisees, they tried to separate themselves from anything that was sinful by obeying the law or at least a certain subset of the law that they thought most important by obeying that law. But in doing so, they also separated themselves from people who didn't see things like they saw it. People who didn't think the same laws were as important as as they thought. And especially they separated themselves from anyone who associated with Gentiles. And so here's this group of Pharisees, these religious leaders. And Jesus is specifically targeting not all Pharisees, but specifically those who are self-righteous, who think a lot of themselves. Now, who's the other guy? 
He's a tax collector. Well, you know what? If we think tax collectors in our day get a bad rap, you ain't seen nothing yet. Tax collectors back then, in that they, what, what the Roman government would do is they would come in an area and they would hire local people. And so this would be a, a, a Jewish person who was local, who was hired by the Roman government to take taxes. Now, that's, that's pretty bad in and of itself, except we learn from other stories that Jesus told or, or from encounters Jesus had, for instance, with, with, with uh, Zacchaeus, that tax collectors not only took what they were supposed to take to give to the government, but they'd take a little extra and they'd pad their own bank accounts with it so that tax collectors were among the wealthiest of people around, but they were also among the most hated because there were two things in the minds of common Jewish people and Jewish religious leaders. One is they were traitors because they were connected to the Roman government. They were betraying their own people. And the second, they were thieves because they were stealing from their own people in order to give themselves a better life. Two very different people. One very religious and one very irreligious one whose life would have been seen as, as holy and the other whose life would have been seen as, as, as just the, the bottom of the barrel. So, the story. The Pharisees, Jesus says, the Pharisee took his stand and was praying. Now, when we read this, our first reaction is he's standing and praying. Well, that's rather arrogant. Well, actually, standing and praying was typical. Uh, the Jewish male would stand, he'd lift his eyes toward heaven, and he'd raise his hands. And that was the traditional Jewish position of prayer. That was the posture of prayer, and that was good. However, the wording here helps us understand something else is going on other than just him praying. He took his stand. This phrase literally means that he positioned himself circumspectly. In other words, he placed himself in a position of honor. My guess, and this is a guess because I wasn't there, my guess is that he moved himself as far up as close to the Holy of Holies in the temple as possible. Couldn't enter there. There were layers you had to get through, but, but he would get this, this room where the Jewish males came in to pray. He would get as close as he could to that because it was a status symbol. That was something that, that, that mattered. Now, in, a, in a, a Baptist church, things are a little different. The further to the back you are, you know, that's the status symbol. Oh, um, by the way, just so you'll know, um, we decided in staff meeting last week that the last three rows are going to be for the 20% tithe. So just keep that in mind. Because, hey, those are like the, those are the, the skyboxes right there. No, just kidding. But, but he placed himself circumspectly at the front. And some of your translations may, have, may say that he prayed with himself or he prayed to himself. Boy, isn't that significant? Prayer is supposed to be to God. And yet, the way he was praying indicated that he kind of liked to hear himself talk about himself. You don't know any people like that, do you? Like to hear himself talk about himself. It was a 
What Jesus is saying here is this is kind of a prideful show going on. And this is what he prayed. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, to be honest, I'm not sure any self-respecting Pharisee would walk into a public place and actually pray a prayer like this. After all, this is a story that Jesus is telling to make a point. But here's, here's, here's what would happen. He's telling this story, and there are the self-righteous among the crowd. And what they're hearing is exactly what's in their hearts and minds when they're praying. They might not say it out loud, but it's exactly what's in their hearts. And so Jesus, I mean, he's zeroed in on them exactly where they live. Now, this is interesting. He goes, when he says, I thank you that I'm not like other people, what he's saying is, I thank you that I'm better than they are. Because when when I look at the laws that I think are most important, God, I follow those to the letter. And so I I can't be lumped in with the greedy. I can't be lumped in with the, the unrighteous. I can't be lumped in with the adulterers, those men who visit the prostitutes on the side. And I am certainly, God, I am certainly not as bad as that tax collector back there. Yeah, that, that one over there hiding in the corner. Yeah, you see him, don't you, God? I'm not like him. This, this is his prayer. And then he goes on to remind God of just how good he is. He said, I fast twice a week. Now, fasting once a week was pretty, pretty religious, pretty righteous. But, but I fast twice a week. I, I'm better than even my contemporaries. I'm better than even my other Pharisee got brothers here. And I tithe, I give a tenth of everything I get. In other words, it's not just my paycheck. It's not just my normal income. Uh, God, I give a tenth of everything I get. And so whatever my income is, I get 10% of that. Oh, I found a shekel on the street. God, I'll give you 10% of that. Uh, I'm growing stuff out in the garden. God, I went out and I picked my cucumbers and here's 10% of that. God, I'm giving you a tenth of everything I get. You know, God, you don't ask that of me. All you tell me is give a tenth of my income. But but God, I'm just better than that. And so here's the prayer of the Pharisee. The problem, of course, is not that he's doing good things or that he's concerned about bringing his life in line with the law of God. The problem is he's self-righteous. He adheres to a certain portion of the law, a certain segment of the law, laws that he thinks are most important, and he mentioned two of them, fasting and tithing, because that's what gave him his sense of value, his sense of worth. He believed that his personal works righteousness made him right before God and that God was most concerned with his external performance. God's looking at the outside. Now, we know that's not true, right? Because the scripture tells us that God doesn't look at the outside. God looks at the heart. But here's a guy 
who's doing all the right things, maybe even saying all the right things, but there's something going on in here that's messed up. And the sad thing is he doesn't even realize it. Now, who's the other guy in the temple? Well, he's the tax collector. And it says here that the tax collector was standing far off. Here's this contrast between the man who's front and center, the Pharisee, and the tax collector who's standing far off. You can kind of picture him kind of hanging out in the shadows, maybe back here in the corner, not wanting to get close, just kind of barely in the temple room itself. Kind of afraid to get close to God. Because he knows that there's a God who's seen everything he's done. Every crooked transaction, every dirty joke, every night of falling down drunk, every prostitute he's been with, every party he's thrown, God has seen every single bit of it. And God would be fully justified to zap him right then and there for daring to enter the temple. He would be justified if all that was left was a pile of smoking ashes. God would be fully justified to do that, and he knew it. And yet, yet he came. There was something inside this man who was so stained with sin, there was something inside him that was so desperate for cleansing, so desperate for unity with God, so desperate to be accepted by God that he dared to enter the temple even at the risk of his own life. And he did not come to justify himself. He did not come to paint a pretty picture of his life. We see what he came for. He came for mercy. It said he would not even raise his eyes to heaven. Again, the traditional way a Jewish male prayed, eyes lifted heavenward. He would not even lift his eyes to heaven his posture bent over burdened weary of sin we look at this man and go why did he even show up why didn't he just take a personal assessment of his life see that he was the scum of the earth there's no way that there'd be a God who'd ever love and forgive him And just check out and go home and wallow in his misery for the rest of his life. But he didn't. He knew that there was a God, a creator who had made him. And somewhere deep inside he knew he owed some allegiance to this God. He knew that there had to be some relationship with this God. And even though he couldn't raise his eyes to even look at him, he was there. Barely there, but he was there. And it says he kept striking his chest. Now, don't, don't, don't get these images from Tarzan movies. This striking the chest was an act of remorse and grieving. You're actually beating yourself because you think you deserve to be beaten. 
And I got to tell you, right here this morning, I haven't seen any of you stand up and beat your chest, but there's some of you here this morning who've come and you've been beating yourself up all week. You woke up this morning beating yourself up because you understand something deep down inside. You're messed up. You're broken. You're wounded. You're guilty. And here we have a tax collector who knows, knows the depth of his depravity. There's no hiding it. Everybody in that room knows the depth of his depravity. And he is standing there, and he's not making a show. He's beating himself up, literally. He's pounding on this heart, this corrupt, dirty, festering heart. He's just pounding on it because he knows the problem is here. It has nothing to do with external performance. It has nothing to do with his lifestyle. It all comes from here. Every bit of it. And he pounds on himself. And this is his prayer. Look how different this prayer is. God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. That's it. That's the sum total of his prayer. Your version may have, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The actual word in the Greek is, would, would, it would be translated, um, be propitiated. Does that help anyone here? Probably not. It's a good translation to say, God, turn your righteous anger, the anger, the wrath that I deserve, God, for my sin. God, spare me from that. Be merciful. Don't give me, God, what I deserve. Now, this, this, was really, this is really cool, and you really don't get this in the English, but if you go back and look it up, this is, this is pretty neat because we have the term, God, have mercy on me or turn your anger from me, a sinner. Do you know what that term is? Literally, the sinner. The Pharisee was worried about his life in comparison to everybody else in that building. And he was better than everybody he knew. But the tax collector, it was just him and God There was holy God and the sinner. Do you see the difference? He's not comparing himself to anyone except the righteousness of God. And he saw himself as the sinner. This now is no show. This is a one-in-one conversation between the Lord of the universe and a man who is broken and buried in sin. God, I am the sinner. I make no excuses. I point no fingers. I am the sinner and the problem is here with me. It's not about the prostitute I slept with. It's not about the five bottles of wine I drank last night. It's not about the man that I beat up across the street. It's not about the the, the gold that I have stored up that deprived widows of even eating a meal. God, it's about a heart. 
that is corrupt and stained and guilty. God, I am the sinner. Have mercy on me. Jesus made his point. He said, I tell you, this one, that is the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It deals with this concept of being justified. What does that mean? Justified means basically being made right with God. The pieces being put back together and and made as they ought to be. Justification came not to the man who was fully aware of his own supposed righteousness. Justification came to the one who was fully aware of his own sinfulness. Justification came to the one who was broken and knew he could not fix himself, not to the one who believed he was just fine, just like he was. Justification came to the one not who was trying to impress God with his own goodness, but who could do nothing but plead for mercy. This is where we began this series on salvation. For it is those who are painfully aware of their own sin and inability to get themselves right with God who will seek diligently and desperately after a Savior. I used to be a lifeguard. Can you believe people put their lives in my hands? All the training, all this other stuff. I never had the opportunity to jump in and save anybody for real, just in practice. But when you go out there and you're swimming, the people who feel like they've got it, they're, they're cruising along, they're swimming their laps, they're playing, you know, water, volleyball, whatever they're doing. But from time to time, there's one who gets in trouble. And it's at that time, there's a desperate cry, help. That is literally the prayer of the tax collector. Help. And it's a prayer that some of you desperately need to pray. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Turn the wrath that I deserve. Turn that away from me, the sinner. It's when we come to the end of ourselves when we've exhausted all of our excuses, when we become weary of self-effort and we are fully confronted by our fatal brokenness, it is then and only then that we come before a holy God not trying to impress him but to find mercy. That God is here. He is holy. He is righteous. And he can't tolerate sin. That's why he sent his son. 
to die on a cross to pay the price for that sin. So that you might have that sin removed from you and stand righteous, justified before God. You do not get that by doing a lot of good works. You do not get that by following a certain number of laws. The only way we are justified is the same way that this tax collector was justified, and that is by coming in our brokenness and seeking the mercy of God. You see, Jesus didn't show up just to help us manage our sin. Jesus didn't show up just to put a Band-Aid on a festering wound. He didn't come just to teach us to pretend that everything is okay just as we are. Jesus came to die for sin and to call us to die to sin. He came to do more than patch us up. He came to give us a new life in Him. He came to shine a spotlight into our hearts to reveal our brokenness and to call us to healing, cleansing, and forgiveness. It is that kind of heart that says, I'm not okay. It is that kind of heart that says, I'm corrupt in here. That's why my life looks like it does. It's not just my choices. It's my heart that drives my choices. I'm a mess. God, I have fallen And I literally cannot get up. That's why Jesus paid the price. He knew you couldn't do it. He knew you were too weak and flawed and stained and corrupt. And he died for you anyway. What a Savior. If we seek to justify ourselves before God, then we will have only ourselves for our defense. But if we come exposed and broken, seeking mercy, we will have Jesus himself for our advocate to stand for us. I don't know about you, But if I need a defense attorney before the king of the universe, I think having Jesus would be a pretty good one to have, wouldn't it? So come, you who are wounded. Come, you who are weary. Come, you who are hopeless and helpless. Come, you who are broken. Come, you who are dead inside. Come to Jesus and live.